0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Uh, commemorate Dr. Martin Luther King, and uh, that's a great pleasure for me. I've been <coughs> I've been studying and trying to teach uh, what I call the Dharma of Martin Luther King uh, for about fifteen years now, and so. This is the time of year, around the time of his birthday. Uh, I think his actual birthday was last Tuesday, I believe, and he would have been 84 years old, uh, which is the same age as uh, my teacher, actually, uh, Sojin Weitzman. Some of you may have seen him here. Uh, So... I've also been thinking about Dr. King because uh, tomorrow uh, my wife Lori and I are going to India. Uh, I've been going there annually for the last, I don't know, four or five years. Uh, and mostly there I'm involved with uh, a community of uh, Dalit or ex-untouchable Buddhists, uh, mostly in Maharashtra, uh, and particularly involved with a school in Nagpur that's called <clears throat> it's called Nagaloka or the Nagarjuna Training Institute, and it brings together young people for a year of training in meditation. They meditate twice a day. They learn basic Buddhism. They learn social thought and they're lifted out of the uh very difficult situations that they're often in in the they're from all over India from these various communities uh where uh by virtue of them being ex untouchables uh there's a lot of uh discrimination so this year uh when I go there, I'm going there with my wife also. This is a big deal. Uh, It's the first time we've traveled together and we're able to do this because our son went off to college and so he's gone and our daughter is working in New York and it's like the first time in 20 years we're able to do something like this. So it's exciting. We're going to teach together and actually sort of model a kind of gender equality as we do this. So, But what we're going to do is actually a unit at this school uh, on the civil rights movement, on the lessons that I understand from this movement uh, of interconnection, of nonviolence, of deep spirituality, Uh, And I think that's what I'll touch on tonight. Um, I should say, if there's anybody here who has friends in Mumbai, uh, we're going to be giving a talk there on Friday at a bookstore, uh, 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 Kitab Kana bookstore, and then doing a two-day sort of Zen-style retreat on the weekend. And if, if you're on Facebook, you can get this on my Facebook page. So anyway, uh, as I said, I've been studying Dr. King for about 15 years and reading his sermons and speeches uh, and examining his actions and strategies. Uh, I've also been mourning his loss. I think as much as any person in the 20th century uh, he remains uh, a teacher for me. Uh, has it, was anyone here, uh, did anyone here have an opportunity to see Dr. King? You did. Where was that?
1: Well, it was very interesting.
2: Uh, I was living in Batesville, Mississippi, uh-huh. going to high school. And Dr. King did a march from Memphis, Tennessee to Jackson, Mississippi. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Oh,
1: okay. Uh, I was living in Batesville, Mississippi. Dr. King in in high school, and Dr. Mm -hmm. King did a march from
0: Memphis, Tennessee, to Jackson, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. and he marched right in front of my family's home. Wow. uh, With the entourage and the state troopers, and I was out there with my with my entourage of um, southern ethnic friends (laughs) and uh, giving him. Ugly epitaphs mm-hmm. and gestures—pretty mm. um, much the sign of the times. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I come from a different milieu, mm-hmm. so I saw him in uh, the synagogue uh, when I was in high school in uh, the suburban New York town that I was growing up in, and I was also at—I uh, I remember where I was standing in. Uh, By the reflecting pool in the March on Washington in '63 uh, with my high school friends. Uh, At any rate, uh, what I want to talk about is not the Dr. King of postage stamps uh, or of sound bites or of uh, these very carefully edited, uh, wonderful sounding. Dreams that he had, but actually uh, the spiritual radical uh who has something very alive to teach us um, it's really interesting how this this country has a i watched the inauguration this this morning and actually was quite moved, but this country has an amazing Ability to homogenize any kind of uh, activism or radicalism. So we have, we literally have. We don't only have postage stamps of Martin Luther King. We have postage stamps of Paul Robeson, who was, you know, harassed by the government for twenty years. Of uh, Malcolm X. I mean, a postage stamp of Malcolm X. That's kind of amazing. Uh, Nonetheless, these people's teachings are there to see. So, the essence of Buddhism as we practice it uh, is what the Buddha taught as the three treasures. Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Everyone is familiar with that. So we can understand Buddha as, if we want to think about it broadly, as our own enlightened nature. Each one of us embodying the Buddha, having that quality and capacity within us. And the Dharma... Uh, Dharma has a wide variety of meanings, but we can think of it broadly as the teachings, in a sense, uh, a description of how things really are, kind of... uh, the teachings or, or the law, like the law of gravity, that's the way things are. That's a dharma. It's a dharma teaching in a sense. And then sangha, you could refer to it narrowly as uh, the community of monks and nuns. Uh, do you use the word sangha here? as the community of practitioners, right? Yeah. Or as the community of all beings. So I like to look at Dr. King through that, through that lens. He was a Christian, obviously, a Baptist minister. But by inclination and education, He was what you might call an inclusivist, uh, which means that he saw the workings of what he understood as divinity in each being, irrespective of the religious tradition or ethnic background that they came from. Uh, In 1954, Early in his preaching career, in 1954, he was 25. He said, "All that has just been, all that has been said concerning the spiritual element in man, gives backing to the Christian contention that man is made in the image of God. Man is more than flesh and blood. So seen through." his own background and his own understanding. We are, we represent God, if you will, Buddha and Bodhisattvas, each person, each being, even that being as he came to see who he might perceive as an opponent or an enemy, those who may have been contemptuous of him and he did everything he could not to fall into contempt for them. So in our Buddhist teachings, we say all beings are Buddha. It's very close to what Dr. King was saying. And again, his practice was to see what was good and essential in each being, which, as you can imagine, was not always so easy. Um, And he did his best to meet each person with respect. There's a video that sometimes I show if I'm doing a workshop on Dr. King called it's called Citizen King and you see him in a tremendous variety of circumstances uh, meeting each people each person with respect and it reminds me there's some videos of uh, my teacher's teacher and Gil and I share this root teacher in Sojin Roshi and Sojin Roshi's teacher was Suzuki Roshi uh, and some of you probably have read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. There's some videos that are going around that were shot in the, oh, probably about 67 or 68 uh, for a television program. And it shows, uh, I don't know what the circumstance was, but I think Suzuki Roshi was driving down to Tasahara and he, they stopped at a gas station and he got out of the car and there were these kind of Shirtless uh, young guys hanging out at the gas station, you know, pumping gas and talking around, probably like you and your friends as you and and so they came, they come up to him, and there's no sound, so you can't see what's happening, and he just starts talking with them, and you can see their body language change. This, I think, is, is the gift that Suzuki Roshi had, which I suspect is uh, very much like the gift that Dr. King had, the gift to really see what was good in people and to communicate that he saw that. And when you communicate that, you put people at ease. Um, But this is not necessarily natural. Some of it may have been characterological, but it's also the training. It's what we're doing here when we come to meditate is to train. What we're learning about how to embody the Dharma and how to take it out in the world is our training. What in the early civil rights movement, uh, before an activist went out into an area of potential conflict, whether it was a march or a sit-in or a freedom ride, uh, as many as possible were encouraged to go and spend several weeks in training very much along the lines of what uh, was available in the Gandhian movement in India uh, in the 30s and 40s, uh, to train in nonviolence, which means to role-play, to put yourself in a situation where somebody is going to threaten you, insult you, berate you, and to understand how to how to take that in without retaliation on the basis of seeing what was precious even in the person who is disrespecting you or doing violence to you. This is very difficult training. Uh, you know, we think it's it's hard. We respect the, the training that... Uh, people in the military have. Uh, but think about having that kind of discipline and not retaliating. What kind, of, what kind of patience and discipline and mastery of one's fears one must have. So to relate to each other we could say to find a way to relate within a conflict, as Buddha to Buddha. And this is very. This is a challenge at the heart of our practice. So, Dr. King, his Dharma for me unfolds in much of what he did and what he said in the early nineteen fifties. Uh, in graduate school, he studied Buddhism, actually. I found a paper, you know, and the Stanford site has it. There's a Stanford site of, it's the repository of Dr. King's papers, and uh, they have incredible stuff on there. And I found a a paper that he wrote on uh, Mahayana Buddhism. Uh, And in its conclusion, he writes uh, approvingly, Buddhism became a religion for the layman as well as for the monk the emphasis on fleeing from the world was replaced by a desire to live in the world while yet being not of the world. Um, This is what he wrote in graduate school. But his mature vision is rooted in what I see as one of the Buddha's great discoveries. In the first days of his awakening, uh, the Buddha had insight into the workings of what we call dependent origination. Is that familiar to some of you? You learn all this stuff, right? Uh, good. I would assume so. With, I mean, Gil is certainly well-educated. So I'm sure he, will, he educates you well. So anyway, dependent origination or dependent co-arising. Yeah. Ah, okay. What, what the simple formulation of that, as the Buddha in, in one of his early teachings was because this arises, that arises. Because this doesn't arise, that doesn't, that doesn't arise. And it's a very complex system if you want to study it in its complexity but what it's saying in essence is that everything arises when it says dependent arising it means depending on one set of on one cause something else arises so all of us if you look at if you look well a body is really complicated if you look at this guitar uh This thing that we call a guitar, it arises because it has a wooden body and it has strings. And these strings are of a certain length and a certain number. And so each of these is a condition. And all of those conditions arise to create something that we call a guitar. Uh, When we think of our bodies, it's even it's immensely more complicated but but everything the buddha 's discovery was everything is like this, without exception, and that all things and all of life are infinitely dependent on each other, nothing if you think of the uh, the other other marks of Existence, nothing, nothing is inherent because it's all dependent upon other causes and conditions. Dr. King expressed this in his own way. It's really beautiful. We are all tied together in a single garment of destiny, an inescapable network of mutuality. I can never be what I ought to be until you are allowed to be. What you ought to be. So there he takes it, another step into solidly into the human realm. I can never be what I ought to be until you are allowed to be what you ought, what you ought to be. In a later essay, uh, he said, We are inevitably our brother's keeper because we are our brother's brother. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. So this is his vision of, to me, his vision of Dharma, the second treasure, and it leads directly to the third jewel of Sangha. And Sangha, to me, is the heart of Dr. King's vision. He expressed it as... uh, Beloved community. And this is a term that he borrowed from a uh, 19th century uh, religious philosopher Josiah Royce. But he really made it his own. Beloved community is the community of all beings. It's not a community, it's not a community that is without conflict because conflict is one, it's inevitable, and two, it's also creative. That things grow and change by being in tension with each other. But the means in the context of beloved community, uh, the means of resolving those conflicts. Are nonviolent. The nonviolence is based on one's recognition of common humanity, of common existence, and it becomes a principle and a responsibility. In that, Dr. King saw himself in a lineage that included the Buddha, Jesus, Thoreau, Tolstoy, Gandhi, and his own teachers. And in that sense, he was not so much, we think of him as a leader of the African American of an African-American movement, but really he was not teaching about race, he was teaching about nonviolence. That was the heart of it, was nonviolence based on this commonality that he saw, on this beloved community. Uh, In a sense, in Buddhist terms, uh, sometimes it's referred to as the pure land. In the gospel of Matthew, it's that shining city on the hill. So, this is a radical teaching that this community is rooted in love and not in retaliation, not in retribution. Radical means going to the root. And Dr. King was was onto this very early. In 1957, as the Montgomery bus boycott was successful, one of the first really large victories of activism in the civil rights movement, he wrote the following words about love. He said, in the final analysis, Love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It's not merely an emotional something. Love is the creative understanding goodwill for all men and women. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power. You seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system, you love. As I said, this is not so easy, not so easy for me. I don't know about for you. What's the alternative? You know, when we turn on the news each night, what do we, what do we see? in the even darker night, at four in the morning, looking into our souls, what do we see? And he wrote further, hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. If I hit you, and you hit me, and I hit you back, and you hit me back, and we go on, that just continues ad infinitum. It just never ends. Then he says, somewhere, somebody must have a little sense. (laughs) And that's the strong person. The strong person is the person who can cut off the chain of hate chain of evil. Somebody must have religion enough and morality enough to cut it off and inject into the very structure of the universe that strong and powerful element of love. I really, that line gets me every time. inject into the very structure of the universe that strong and powerful element of love. So, tonight, tomorrow, uh, what I really hope is to continue to be reborn moment by moment day by day uh, as, a, sort of, as a card-carrying member of the beloved community. Uh, and to be part of that with all of you. It's not really so dramatic, although it is revolutionary. Uh, this is what Obama... Obama t- today was talking about. He used the word we... A lot. He used the word together a lot. That's what Sangha is. Sangha is uh, the manifestation of this dependent co arising, of just working together. So I hope that we can do this. I hope that we can walk quietly side by side, really each enjoying. The other's company in in peace, and spreading that through our actions through how we carry ourselves uh, through how we live and practice, so I think that's what I wanted to say tonight uh, and I thought maybe we, we'll have we have some time for uh, discussion and questions, but uh would like to let's do a civil rights song. Would that be okay? <laughs> uh... Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round Turn me round, turn me round Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking Marching down to freedom's land You can sing that Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round Turn me round, turn me round Ain't gonna let nobody Turn me round I'm gonna keep on walking Keep on talking Marching down to freedom's land Ain't gonna let injustice Turn me round, turn me round Turn me round Ain't gonna let injustice Turn me round I'm gonna keep on walking Keep on talking, talking to freedom's land. You can sing louder than that. Let's let's give it a Buddhist turn here. Ain't gonna let no hindrance turn me round. Turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let no hindrance turn me round. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up to freedom's land. Ain't gonna let no delusions Turn me round Turn me round Turn me round Ain't gonna let no delusions Turn me round I'm gonna keep on walking Keep on talking Marching up to freedom's land I'm gonna not... Ain't... Let's see... Ain't gonna let no violence Turn me round Turn me round, turn me round, ain't gonna let no violence turn me round. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up to freedom's land. I'm gonna let nobody turn me round, turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round. I'm gonna keep on walking. Keep on talking, marching up to freedom's land. Ain't going to keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up to freedom's land. Thank you. So if you have any thoughts or questions, uh, we have some time, I think. Yes, sir. Uh uh-huh. great. you're in my generation. Yeah, yeah. wow I actually in the late
2: sixties, and
1: Mhm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah. Well, this is this is what I think, you know, we had a one day sitting at at Berkeley, in Berkeley yesterday and it's like yeah, we just show up and we create community where we are. This is really this remarkable thing that the practice brings it, brings us together that way. Other thoughts or questions? Yes, sir.
1: I can always find something to say, I guess, about something. Um, I I know how that is. (laughs) My wife tells
0: me I'm the same way.
1: One of my favorite um, writers uh, regarding uh, Buddhism, Um, I can't pronounce the names of these these individuals. You would know them. Um, he is a Vietnamese monk who was thrown out of Vietnam for his anti-war.
0: Thich Nhat Hanh. Right, and he
1: lives now in in Plum Village, France. Yeah. He he somehow or another I don't know. He and Martin Luther King uh, became pals. Yeah. And it was the monk who encouraged Martin Luther King to take up uh, the anti-war movement. That's right. And in return, uh, he nominated this monk for the Nobel Peace Prize. And I never really paid that much attention to it until this moment as to how connected... Martin Luther King was uh t- to to Buddhism
0: Well that's uh, right. That you've got the facts exactly right. Uh, the um Han was living in New York and but he they had a correspondence and they met and uh when you listen and you read uh Martin Luther King's he gave a famous speech in April of 1967 at Riverside Church in New York. And when you read that, you hear Thich Nhat Hanh's thinking so deeply woven into that. Has, has anyone read that talk? And it's completely, it's, it's taking his anti, anti-war and non-violence to a kind of global level. And then he did nominate uh, Thich Nhat Hanh for Nobel Prize. I
1: guess we need more guys around like that. But
0: yeah. Well, Dick Nanahan is still around, yeah. and he's still teaching. Uh, he has a place, uh, Deer Park, in uh, Southern California, uh, and, you know, his teachings are very much alive, and I've also been trying to research, trying to, it's really hard to find much more documentation on what their interaction was, but, uh I was uh, sort of in the process of trying to research that because I think it's important. The other aspect that was really rich was uh, contact going back to the late 19th century, but particularly flourishing in, in the early 20th century between the African-American liberation movements and uh, Indians and South Asians. Uh, there was a very active discourse. It was kind of little, you know, below the public threshold, but uh, I've been studying about that lately, which is partly why I want to take some of these teachings to India, to these communities. Someone else? Yes. Yes. We both um, tutored at uh, Hoover Elementary School based on what Gil said last Martin Luther King Day where he told us about a school just a mile or so away from here that um, you know, 70% of the kids live below poverty level. So this guy was great. He came almost every day. Um, we might be doing that again in the spring And so if anybody is interested, they could speak to us. Um, And I just wondered, where would you... I mean, how can we become more involved in our community in a gentle way to kind of carry this work on? Just what you said. I mean, that's the thing. You don't... I'm kind of... I'm an internationalist. There's no reason to go to India, you know, there's needs right here, and they're right here in our community uh, where we're interwoven so uh, there's teaching mindfulness in the schools. this is really uh, really important uh, our kids are so i mean I have kids and I see see kids the kids are so off balance you know and so overwhelmed by uh, the kind of information that's thrown at them and the realm, frankly, the realm of desire the realm of, of dukkha, of suffering to allow them to learn a skill where they can just sit quietly even for five minutes this is an incredible skill that, that they will have for their whole life so that's that's something to do whatever teaches people self-respect whatever teaches people uh to really appreciate what they do have instead of uh becoming fixated on what they don't have uh and you can do that you can do that that's that's dana paramita that's just giving, naturally. So, uh, you know, you have to look at what opportunities there are, but there's lots of them really close. Anyone else before we close? Yes.
2: Based on the four
0: noble tools, and the
2: cause of suffering is clinging, right?
0: That's one way or to desire. put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. one way.
2: Mm-hmm. So if if there is suffering, I should look for the clinging behind of it, or the cause of it, yes, or the desire. That, and and I I think it's in the heart of Silicon Valley. It's hard to find that because it's. There is so much going on and so much competition that to let go, you get really behind, <laughs> and then um, so you really have to be aware of these principles, not to get caught yes. in the game.
0: I think for most, yeah, I think for most of us very likely there's some people in this room who were born into a Buddhist tradition but most of us many of us here came to that because we became aware of uh, our suffering and Buddhism is very simple Buddha said I teach about suffering and the end of suffering Uh, and it's like I heard that and I thought oh I think I need that that's why it's why you're here this is what we 're learning to do absolutely right. that 's why I 'm here <laughs> so it's you know if we could flip a switch or take a pill, you know mm-hmm. that would be great, but it doesn't work that way you you actually have to go through a period of transformation this is what again this is what Gandhi was teaching to uh, his followers this is what dr King was teaching it 's not just a question of flipping a switch and changing your mind it actually has to be cultivated and so we're cultivating it
2: is it is it the same as detachment
0: Um, I I would rather say uh, I'd rather use the term transparency in other words if I look at What my desire is, you know. uh, Can I see through it? Can it become transparent? uh, Rather than just detachment, has a has a sense of of cutting off. And I think what we're talking about is is actually accepting. Oh, this desire, you know, this desire that that arises in my mind. That means I'm alive. Go, good. I'm alive. I have desire. But what Suzuki Roshi, the way he framed was don't get stuck on it. Don't get caught on it. What I would say is, can can you see through it? I think that's the place to end. We're already a little over time. I have, um, since I've been here last, I've got a new CD of what I'm calling Buddhistic music, and that's out there. And whatever Donna, you give me, uh, comes this way tonight, I'm going to uh, take with me as support for uh, the young students at Nagaloka in India. And uh, so you can have a, you can offer something to children you don't know half a world away. Thank you very much.